thing I love about this time of year is getting to hear these songs of our Savior's incarnation and birth. Adam's likeness now a face. Stamp thine image in its place. It's hard for me to think of better words ever written in that by man. And it's, it's outstanding. Thank you, Isaac. All right, if you would, open your Bibles again now to Genesis chapter 21. I've titled the message this evening, Redemption in Beersheba. Now, the singular message of all of Scripture is this. Salvation is of the Lord. That's the message of Scripture. God the Father in eternity purposed the redemption, the salvation of his people in divine election. The Father elected a people to save, and he elected, he chose the Savior to save those people. He appointed his Son to be the Savior of his people. God the Son came in human flesh, as we just heard, and he purchased that redemption for his people with his own blood shed at Calvary's tree. And God the Holy Spirit, he comes and he applies that salvation to the hearts of God's people in the new birth when he gives them a new heart. Now that salvation that God purposed, that God purchased, that God applied, that's the message of all of Scripture. The New Testament is filled with the, this message, how God has already fulfilled this redemption for his people. God's people are justified. They've been made righteous in Christ. It's all over but to shout. It's all accomplished except for Christ's return. In And the Old Testament has the very same message as the New Testament. The Old Testament, instead of telling what has already happened, the Old Testament gives us pictures. Everything in the Old Testament is a picture of how Christ will come, how God's going to save his people through the obedience and through the sacrifice of his son. And God gave these Old Testament pictures long before that redemption was ever accomplished in time for this reason. To show us that salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's God's eternal purpose. God didn't give the law and that failed to save anybody. So the sacrifice of God's son was plan B. Salvation in Christ was always God's eternal purpose. And our text tonight gives us a really good picture of that, that redemption has been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God. I have five points. The first one is this. The redemption of God's elect is all for Christ's sake. Verse 22 of Genesis 21. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee and all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me here by God, that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son. But according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now Abimelech's name may sound familiar to you. We've met him before. Remember back in chapter 20, Abraham tra- traveled down to the land of Kadesh, where Abimelech is king. And when they got there, Abraham and Sarah told everybody, Sarah is Abraham's sister. They didn't say she's his wife. She said that you know, she's his sister so that nobody would kill Abraham so they could take Sarah to be their wife. Now, Sarah was a very beautiful woman and 
far as Abimelech knew, she's unattached. So he took her to be his wife, made her part of his harem. And the Lord came to Abimelech in a dream before he had an opportunity to go into Sarah and told Abimelech, you're a dead man for doing this. And Abimelech said, I didn't know. I mean, he told me she's his sister. And the Lord told him, it's Abraham, you give her back and Abraham will pray for you and you'll be spared. Your household will be healed. They had not been able to have children or just some other, something was going on there. And the Lord spared Abimelech and healed his household because Abraham prayed for him. Now, just humanly speaking, Abimelech had to have a very, very low opinion of Abraham. Don't you reckon? I mean, what would you think of a man that prostituted his wife like that? I mean, just, we'd have a very low opinion of him. But Abimelech told him, now, you just live wherever you want in the land. And Abraham did. And Abimelech had been watching him. And this is what he saw. God blessed everything Abraham did. And Abimelech was smart enough to know the enemies of Abraham are not going to prosper. But the friends of Abraham, they're going to prosper because of a relationship with Abraham. They're going to be blessed for Abraham's sake. So Abimelech came to Abraham and asked him for this peace treaty. And that's why he said, now swear to me, promise. The, the, the way this language is, it's like he made him promise seven times. Seven, the number of perfection. You promised me. I remember that you had dealt falsely with me in the past. Now promise me that you won't do that again. And Abraham promised, and he and Abimelech entered into this, this peace treaty, this covenant. All right, here's the picture. Long before creation, God the Father and God the Son entered into a peace treaty. They entered into the covenant of grace. And that treaty, that covenant said that the Lord Jesus Christ would come in the flesh and he would redeem God's elect and he'd give them peace with God. And at the appointed time, the Lord Jesus came to earth as a man. He came to earth to ratify that peace treaty between him and his father. He would ratify it. He would establish it by his obedience to the law. He'd seal it with the blood of his sacrifice. And all during his earthly ministry, anybody that was paying attention could see this. The father was with the son. The father blessed everything that the Lord Jesus did. Of course he did. It's perfect. What he did is perfect. So of course the father blessed it. But if you're paying any attention whatsoever, you know God's with this man. Nicodemus didn't know a whole lot when he first came to the Lord by night, did he? But he knew God was with him. He said, nobody could do what you're doing except God be with him. And when his earthly ministry was over, the father was perfectly satisfied with everything his son did. He was perfectly satisfied by his obedience. He made that obedience to be the righteousness of his people. He's perfectly satisfied with the death of his son. The death of his son took away everything that made God angry. Took away the sin of his people. And there's peace. Now everybody can see the father is well pleased with the son. You don't have to read much of this book to figure that out. The father is pleased with his son. He's going to bless everything that his son has ever done. Everything the son has done is going to be successful. 
Well, then the smart thing for you and me to do is hide in Christ. Trust in Him. Because that's the only way the Father could ever be pleased with somebody like you and me. Is if we're in Christ. And if God saves us, this will be our confession. God saved me for Christ's sake. God saved me because of Christ's obedience. My only righteousness is the obedience of Christ. God saved me for Christ's sake. Because His sacrifice put away my sin. It's never, God's never going to accept me because of what I've done or what I haven't done. It's all in Christ. Because of who He is and what He has done. Now this is just obvious. The Father can't be pleased. He's holy. He can't be pleased with sinners in their sin and in their rebellion. But He's pleased with everyone who's in Christ. Everybody who trusts Christ, the Father is pleased with them. He'll always save them. And He'll always keep them. And eventually, He'll bring them to be with Him where He is. For Christ's sake. Because Christ accomplished their redemption. It's not going to be our morality. It's not going to be our orthodoxy. It's not going to be our good works. It's for Christ's sake. Now the Father and the Son have entered into this covenant. Into this peace treaty. It's been ratified by the blood of Christ. And because of that, the Father will never deal falsely with anybody. See, this is what Abimelech was concerned with. Abraham, don't you deal falsely with me now. Promise me you will not deal with me falsely. Well, because of this covenant, well, really because of his character, but in this covenant, God doesn't deal falsely with anybody. He's not going to deal falsely with somebody, unjustly with somebody when he sends them to hell. It's going to be for their sin. They're going to get just exactly what they deserve. No more. Not an ounce more, not an ounce less. And the Father will never deal falsely with his people either. In spite of their sin, in spite of their rebellion, in spite of their weak faith, the Father will not deal falsely with them for Christ's sake. The Father won't condemn them because Christ has already been condemned in their place. And the Father's not going to have to deal falsely and accept them in their sin. The Father's not going to accept somebody in their sin and just say, well, I'm going to pretend like you don't have any sin. <laughs> I'm going to pretend like you're righteous even though you're not. He's not going to have to do that. He's not going to deal falsely with people that like that. You know why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ has made his people to be truly and actually righteous. And God's going to deal truthfully with them and accept them for Christ's sake. Salvation is always for Christ's sake. All right, number two, this covenant of grace, this peace treaty, always saves sinners. Verse 25, now they've already entered into this, this covenant now. And Abraham approved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away. Now Abraham entered this peace treaty. He told Abimelech, I swear, I'll, I'll deal truly with you. Even though he already knew there's a serious problem between him and Abimelech. And he entered into this covenant anyway. And the problem is Abimelech's fault. And Abraham still enters into the covenant with him. What had happened is some of Abimelech's men had come and they violently took a well that Abraham had gone out in the desert. He dug for himself, for, for his flocks and things to, to water them and so forth. And you know in that desert place, boy, water was a precious commodity. And these men came and violently took it. And Abraham's upset about it. 
he took away this this precious commodity, you know, that, that he worked hard for. He's upset about it. This is a sin that's been done against him, a wrong that's been against him. But he entered into the peace treaty anyway. And it's very good for us to know Abimelech didn't have to correct his sins before Abraham entered into a covenant with him. Abimelech didn't have to quit sinning and give the well back before Abraham entered into a covenant with him. Abraham entered into a covenant with him knowing this was between them. All right, here's the picture. The father and the son. In eternity, when they entered into a covenant of grace, they both already knew there's a problem. They already knew Adam would sin against God. And by his fall, Adam would plunge the whole race into sin and death. That's a problem. But the father and the son entered into this covenant anyway. Because the covenant of grace is, is, in, is intended to save real sinners. See, the covenant of grace is not intended to save good people and righteous people. It's meant to save sinners. Sinners who have sinned against God. Sinners who don't have any other hope of salvation other than God's grace in Christ Jesus. Now here's the good news. You don't have to correct all of your past sins before God will save you. You don't have to quit sinning in order for God to save you. God only saves sinners. Now, if you're a sinner, I'll tell you what to do. You come to Christ just as you are. Don't try to clean anything up. Don't try to hide your sin. Don't try to make yourself look better than you really are. Remember, this is a faithful saying. Worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to this world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Well, don't try to make yourself look better than a no-count, low-down sinner. Come to God as a sinner begging for mercy because the covenant of grace is meant to save sinners. See, the only question for you and me is this. Are we a sinner? It's not what we know. It's not who we know. It's not... A, the only question is this. Are you a sinner? If you are, Christ came to save you. I come begging for mercy. All right, number three. The only way that we can really see our sin is to see Christ. Verse 26. And Abimelech said, I wot not who has done this thing. Neither didst thou tell me. Neither yet I heard of it, but today... Now, Abimelech didn't know anything about this, this whole matter. He didn't know anything about his men going and taking Abraham's well from him by force. They didn't do it on his orders. He never, he never wanted to do that. And this is the first he's hearing about it. He enters into this covenant with Abraham. And the first thing he finds out is we got a problem. And it's my fault. Well, here's the picture. You know, we really don't know anything about the nature of sin. Until God saves us. Until God saves us, all we think of sin is it's, you know, it's breaking the rules. It's really not that bad. It's, you know, we know I don't really have all that much sin. I do more good things than I do bad things. Only the new man can see the sin of the old man. Only the new man can see all those things that I thought was righteousnesses that I was doing that was making God happy with me. 
Only the new man can see those things are sinful. Those things are plenty enough send me to hell. Before God saves us, we don't know this. Sin is spiritual. Sin is in the heart. Sin is our nature. It's not just an outward act. Sin is in our nature. And the only person who can understand that is a person who's been born again by God the Holy Spirit. I'll give you a few examples. Our brother Job thought he was pretty good stuff, didn't he? He spent a whole lot of time trying to justify himself, didn't he? Thought he was pretty good. Until he saw the Lord. And then he said, I bore myself. I'm putting my hand over my mouth. I'm not saying one more thing. But he didn't say that until he saw the Lord. Isaiah, well, this fellow thought, I mean, he had a tiger by the tail, didn't he? He thought he was qualified to go around and woe everybody everywhere. Woe was you, woe was you, woe was you, woe was you. Until he saw the Lord high and lifted up. And then what did he say? Woe was me. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And here's how I know that. I've seen the king. I've seen the king, the Lord of hosts in his glory. Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus thought he is a righteous man. Everybody knew him, thought the same thing. Outwardly, nobody could find a blemish in him. And Saul actually thought to himself, outwardly I have no blemish. He really did think that. And then he saw Christ. And Lord showed Saul the spirituality of the law. And then Paul said, he was Saul then, then I understood I was dead. I thought I was using the law to earn eternal life. And in fact, the law slayed me because I didn't know it was spiritual. He didn't know that until he saw Christ. And you and I can never really see what our sin really is. We can never see the, the heinousness of it. Heinousness, is that? I think it's a word. We can't see what our sin really deserves until we see Christ. See, when I see Christ in His holiness, then I understand my unholiness. When I see the righteousness of Christ, when I see His perfection, then I can see the filth of my sin. Then I, when I see Christ's righteousness, I see the filth of my righteousnesses. When I see Christ crucified, when I see Him slain by His Father in the most horrible way imaginable, then I see what I really deserve. That's the only way I can see what I really deserve, what my sin really deserves, is to by faith see Christ crucified. See, that's why here we don't preach against committing outward acts of sin. I mean, you ought not do it, but you don't need me to tell you that. We don't preach against committing outward sins. We don't, I'm just, I'm going to refuse to do this. I refuse to waste my time telling somebody how they're supposed to act. Don't do this and do this. I got enough problem telling my own self to do that. That's not what we're preaching. And somebody preaches that, you know, you got to do this, you got to do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. Tell you what that's going to promote every time. Self-righteousness. Because it's going to make us look at ourselves and see what we're doing and how well we're, we're doing instead of looking to Christ. By God's grace, we here intend to just keep preaching Christ. Just keep telling sinners who Christ is. 
Keep telling sinners, look to Christ. Keep telling sinners, go to Christ. If the Spirit is ever pleased to take that word, bless it to your heart. He's pleased to reveal Christ to you. You'll see what your sin is. And you'll run to Him. But you're not going to see your sin. You're not going to see your need until you see Christ the Savior. That's why we keep preaching Him. Alright, here's the fourth thing. Now God's the wronged party. Our sin is all against God, isn't it? We've sinned, we've wronged God, but we don't make the payment for sin. God provides the payment for sin. Now this is the problem that man has in trying to figure out. I know, I've got, man just inherently knows I've got to answer to God. I've got a debt. I've, I've done something wrong between me and God. And we're trying to figure out how to get rid of this problem. We're trying to figure out how to pay God something for our sin. Now man by nature also inherently knows this. I can't pay all of my sin debt to God. I, I know that. I need Jesus to come and shed His, His blood to do the part that I can't do. But I can still do my part. I can still contribute something. And man by nature thinks, well, you know, if I pay some of the debt, and then Jesus pays the rest of it. Why, God would be more inclined to be happy with me because, you know, it cost him less to redeem me. Listen to me. Nothing can be more wrong than that. God is only pleased with the sacrifice that he provided. God is only pleased with the blood of his son. And here's that that's given to us in a picture here, beginning in verse 27. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech. And both of them made a covenant. And Abraham sent, set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. Wherefore he called that place Beersheba, because there they swear both of them. Now Abimelech's men, they were the ones that did wrong, didn't they? They took Abraham's well by force. They took something that didn't belong to him. And you'd think Abimelech would compensate Abraham, wouldn't you? This has been, this has been done wrong to you. I'm going to compensate you for this. But that's not what happened. Instead, Abraham, the one who'd been wronged, he pays Abimelech these seven ewe lambs and all these other um, goats and oxen and sheep and stuff that he gave them. Now that just seems backward, doesn't it? It's all backward. The one who's wrong is paying the debt. Well, this is a picture of how the sin debt of God's elect has been paid. We're the ones that sinned against God. We're the ones that did him wrong. We're the one, we didn't give him the glory he deserved. We tried by violence to take what doesn't belong to us. Yet God is the one who makes the payment that satisfies his justice. You know, the number seven represents perfection. These seven lambs represent the per perfect atonement that's found in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how Abraham says this in verse 30. I'm giving you these seven new lambs as a witness to me. Abimelech, they're not a witness to you that I dug this well. They're a witness to me that I dug this well. 
Now you can only understand that when you look at this picture of redemption in Christ. The blood of Christ is the payment that God made for the sin of His people. It's a payment made by God to God. See, the blood of Christ is a witness to God that the sin debt of His people has been paid in full. See, the blood of Christ was never offered to you and me, was it? No, it was offered to God. The blood is offered before the Lord. God's the one who is the offended party, and He's pleased with the blood of His Son. He accepts that as payment in full. And the blood of Christ is a constant reminder to God. There's no reason for Him to condemn His people. The blood put it away. When I see the blood, I'll pass over you. See, the blood is a token to God. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's before the Lord. Oh, is a witness that the blood of Christ put away the sin of His people. Now remember when this whole conversation started, Abimelech wanted a promise from Abraham you, that you won't deal falsely with me. You're not going to deal falsely with my children or my grandchildren. And Abraham promised Well, Abraham, here's a picture of God the Father. Almighty God will not deal falsely with anyone who's covered under His covenant of grace. Now, God won't falsely accept them in their sin, but He doesn't have to. He paid the price for their sin. The blood of Christ is a constant reminder, a constant witness of that. And God will never falsely condemn any of His people. And again, there's no reason for him to condemn them, is there? When Christ was condemned as their substitute, he paid their debt in full. And the blood of Christ is a witness to that. And Abimelech, he wanted peace with with Abraham, but he wanted it in truth. He wanted this peace, but Abraham, you're not going to deal falsely with me. I want this peace in truth. Well, that's God's covenant of grace. It's been fulfilled in truth. Justice is truly satisfied by the death of Christ. By His obedience, by His sacrifice for the sin of His people, He has made His people truly righteous so that they have no sin. Then there's no more reason for war, is there? There's no more reason for hostilities. The blood of Christ fulfilled His promise to His Father in the covenant of grace. It sealed the covenant. And the Father and the Son are in full agreement. Redemption has been accomplished. The price has already been paid, and there is eternal peace between God and His people. See, here's how salvation is accomplished. We do all the sinning, and God does all the saving. That's our relationship with God. Just like Abimelech, he's the one who did everything wrong, at least in regard to this well, and Abraham's the one that made it right. Our relationship with the Savior is this. We do all the sinning. And He does all all the saving. Christ does all the giving, and we do all the receiving. All right, here's the last thing. Now this is a result of this covenant of grace being ratified. God's people grow in grace. Verse 33 And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned in the the Philistines' land many days. 
Abraham planted a grove of trees by this well that he dug. And I don't know that anything else is ever said about these trees, but I'm just confident of this. Those trees flourished. It just stands to reason they grew well, they flourished, because they're planted by the water. It stands to reason, doesn't it? And that's a picture of how God's people, they grow in grace. Every believer I know would say this. I'm not satisfied with myself. I'm not, I'm not satisfied with my faith. I'm not satisfied with my growth in grace. I, I'm just not satisfied. Well, you want to know how that's going to grow? It's going to be by being where the well of water is. That growth is going to come by being near where Christ is preached. Let me show you that in Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verse 12. The righteous. Now these are those that the the Lord Jesus Christ has made the righteousness of God in him. The righteous shall flourish like the palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. See here, now we're going to flourish. We're going to grow by being in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He hadn't dealt falsely with one of them, has he? To show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Now that spiritual growth that every believer wants, that's going to be slow. Even when we find ourselves planted right where Christ is preached, spiritual growth will, will be slow, but there will be growth. Now, there will be growth in grace because when God does the saving, he's also going to be the one to give life and to sustain that life and cause that growth in grace. Now, that's the redemption that's pictured in Beersheba. And that's your redemption, too, if God's the one who saved you. All right, let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for this time together to worship, to open your word and to read it, study it, have Christ preached. Father, I pray you get much glory to yourself through the preaching of Christ our Savior. How we thank you for the covenant of your grace. How we thank you for Christ the mediator of that covenant. How we thank you for the mercy and the truth of that covenant. That despite all of our sin, you saved your people to the uttermost, completely and fully, by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, how we thank you. I pray you cause each of us to leave here this evening, rejoicing in and resting in Christ our Savior. It's in his name, for his sake we pray. Amen. All right, Sean.